we are starting a new series this morning. God and My Stuff is what it's called. And uh, this, is, this is pretty close to home for me because uh, we're, Anna and I have just moved into our new house. And so we're on a very, very tight budget at the moment. And, you know, we've just started to go through and slash and burn all the expenses. And now the huge mortgage payments are coming out. And so we have to be really, really uh, careful, really frugal. And unfortunately, one of the things that has disappeared from the church, from the, not the church budget, but from our personal budget, <laughs> it's, it's, it's basically the same thing, isn't it? You know. <clears throat> oh, let's be honest, it's just, you know. But <laughs> shall, we, shall we just start again? <laughs> Is that best? Okay. Not really any recovering from that, is it? Okay. The personal budget. One of the things that has disappeared from the personal budget is the uh, Sunday lunch at Wendy's. That, that, that is tragic. That, yeah, that's right. I don't know how that happened, but it's gone from the budget, and that's, that's a huge problem for us. I mean, this is usually about the point in the message I start looking forward to my, my lunch at Wendy's, you know, on the way home, and start thinking about that as I'm preaching to you, you know. But uh, it's gone. So, uh, yeah, I mean, I tried to negotiate with Anna for a few other things to be taken out of the budget instead of Wendy's. I thought maybe presents for family and friends, you know, could, <laughs> could, could go pretty easily there. And I thought about maybe the church tithe. That could go. But, but as we've learned, that's basically my salary. So, you know, that, 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 wasn't, that was not really going to be very smart. So, yeah, Wendy's is gone. And uh, that's sad to report. So, you know, you, you kind of... I don't know whether you find... You, you play little games with this stuff, though. You know, th- those of you who are married, you, you kind of... If you really want something that you can't, that you know is not in the budget that you're not supposed to have, you just drop little hints. You know, Anna and I do this all the time. So one of us will say, oh, and I'm really, really hungry and there's no food in the house. And you're trying, to, you're trying not to be the one who says what you really want. You know, you're trying to get the other person to say, well, should we just have Wendy's? So that then you can have all the pleasure and none of the responsibility. And they were the one who came up with the idea, you know. So you sort of, oh, there's no food in the house and, oh, what are we going to do? And hoping maybe they might just, you know, jump in with the fast food. You know how this stuff goes. We play these games. And, you know, the reality is that even if, if, if we're not playing games with, with that kind of talk, uh, money and, and, and budgets and finance and spending, that stuff just causes huge amounts of conflict in relationships and with individuals. I mean, counselors will tell you it's just the top of the list, isn't it, of, of, of marriage problem issues, hot-button issues, stuff that, that blows marriages apart. Money is right up there. When we do uh, pre-marriage counseling that Malcolm and Biffy run, the only topic in the whole series of pre-marriage counseling that has two sessions on it is money because they know that that is, has got the potential to cause a huge amount of conflict in marriage relationships. And even if it's not causing overt conflict, and you're not actually fighting with someone about the stuff, money is just, it's keeping us awake at night. It is on our minds uh, and in all kinds of ways, you know, whether it's thinking about when do you go back to work once you've had the baby, and, and you know, you could really do with that income, and, and what's the right time to do that, or thinking about how we're going to get ourselves out of this bad investment that we made, how are we going to recover from this, or how do we budget properly so that we can just survive week to week? How do we get the bills paid next month? The money stuff, the wealth, the possessions, the finance, the budgeting, it is so heavy on our minds. And my, my simple hope is that over these next few weeks, as we, as we take this journey together as a church, and this is all of us, I mean, our life groups are going through this, our, our kids are learning similar uh, ideas in their lessons, and my hope is that we can just start to ask, how does the gospel, how does our faith in Jesus Christ um, influence and affect 
some of these very practical, very concrete realities of our life? I mean, is, the stu- is, our, is our bank balance off limits to God, or does the Scriptures and, and does uh, God have something to say to this area of our life? What I want to do today is lay a foundation for what we're talking about over the next few weeks and just look at, at, at a basic paradigm shift I think we need to make to start thinking biblically about our money, our stuff, our, our possessions. And so I want to take you to a parable in Matthew 25, uh, one of a couple of parables that we'll look at over the next uh, few weeks because Jesus taught hugely in parables and taught so much about money that some of the ways he communicated this stuff was through story. So in Matthew 25, he, he tells a story about a very rich farmer or a very rich master. In verse 14, he says, Again, it will be like a man going on a journey who called his servants and entrusted his wealth to them. To one he gave five bags of gold, to another two bags, and to another one bag, each according to his ability. Then he went on his journey. The man who had received five bags of gold went at once and put his money to work and gained five bags more. So also the one with two bags of gold gained two more. But the man who had received one bag went off, dug a hole in the ground, and hid his master's money. Now, just pause there for a second. A couple observations about this parable. You've, you've got a guy here, this, this master, this owner, who is obscenely rich. He's not just a little bit rich. This guy is absolutely loaded. You can tell this because he's handing out bags of gold. Uh, some of your translations, by the way, might say talents there, uh, which gets a bit confusing. The, 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 the Greek word is talenton, but it's not talking about gifts and abilities and talents. And uh, we go off on a wrong track if we're thinking that's specifically what Jesus is talking about. A talenton was a monetary term. And in particular, it was, it was a, a measure of weight of gold or silver. And a talent, a talenton, was equivalent to about what a day laborer would make in half their working life. So not, not a day's wages or even a few years' wages. This is you know, a good 20 years or so work, what you would accumulate just if your salary kept on piling up. So if you took you know, salary, keep it nice and clean, you know, 50K, we're talking about one talent or one bag of gold in this, in this parable being roughly a million, roughly a million dollars. So that's the best way to think about this. Now, when you start adding that up, this guy is absolutely loaded. He's got at least five, six, seven, eight million dollars cash on hand just to give out. This is not including assets that he might have, but he's just got this stuff sitting there in gold that he is giving out to these servants. And these servants, by the way, don't think about servants here being these menial little laborers that just wash floors and, and do dishes. Servants could be any employees of the master's household. So they could do all kinds of jobs. They may be doing the low-level stuff, but they could also be in charge of huge amounts of finance. They could be managers of the master's estate. They could be keeping his affairs in order. In this case, it seems like they are basically fund managers. They're basically financial managers who this master is giving money to, entrusting money with, so that they will go and invest it and then bring a return to him. So these guys have got some serious financial skills. They're not lowly laborers at all. They're quite... Um, savvy, quite financially savvy, and he's got them in these positions because of that. And so he distributes $5 million to one financial manager, $2 million to another financial manager, and $1 million to a third guy. And off they go. 
Now, let's see what these guys get up to, because this gives us a basic paradigm of how God sees our stuff. So what Jesus is setting up here is an understanding of how God relates to us in terms of our wealth and possessions and assets. We tend to have, as, as Western people in a capitalist economy, we tend to have a very strong sense of ownership of our money, our possessions, and our finance. We have a very strong hold on it, and we feel very violated and offended if anyone else tries to mess with our stuff, and rightly so. If anyone tries to tell us how to use our money, or what to do with our money, or how to spend our money, we feel offended. We feel that that is a, it's an affront to us on a personal level. This is quite different to the way that Jesus presents the picture. The way he talks about our stuff is that we're not the master in the parable at all. That's God. We're not the one who owns all the stuff. We are these servants who have been entrusted with certain amounts of stuff and certain amounts of money. We tend to place ourselves in the shoes of the master, but Jesus is saying, actually, you are in the role of these servants. You are in the role of these financial managers. Everything that you have belongs to God. This is where we've got to start with a biblical understanding of money and possessions. Everything that you have belongs to God. Every cent in your bank account is His. He owns the title deed to your house. Every share you hold, every asset you have, every possession that you own is from Him and through Him and to Him. It's all His. Psalm 24 says, The earth is the Lord's and everything in it. That's the starting point for talking about money. It's all God. It's not yours at all. He owns all the resources that fill this entire planet, and He has graciously entrusted you with a little bit of it. But ultimately, God is the owner of all this stuff. So He's given some stuff. He's given you a little income stream. He's given you some assets. He's given you some meaning. You might not feel like it's much. You might feel like you'd like some more money. I'm sure you would. But God has said, this is what I'm entrusting you with. And he has given it to you as an investor giving funds to a financial manager. He's entrusting you with this wealth. And so this reshapes the question from what am I going to do with my stuff and what am I going to do with my money to what would God have me do with his money? How would God have me use his stuff? Because ultimately this is his. It's not mine, it's his. If you can get that paradigm shift, if you can ingrain this idea within your own conscience that everything you own is ultimately God's, a lot of other stuff flows on from that. Everything else we'll talk about in this series is an outworking of that idea that we are not the owners of our stuff. And so we need to stop clutching onto it so tightly. Your money is not just a private affair between you and and your family. It is ultimately God. He has rightful claim on every single cent that you own. It is from Him, and He has graciously entrusted it to you as a manager, or sometimes the word we use is a steward of His resources. So, in view of that, what are the responses of these servants? Verse 19, After a long time, the master of the servants returned. And settled accounts with them. The man who had received five bags of gold brought the other five. Master, he said, you entrusted me with five bags. See, I have gained five more. His master replied, well done, good and faithful servant. You have been faithful with a few things. I will put you in charge of many things. Come and share your master's happiness. 
The man with two bags of gold also came. Master, he said, you have entrusted me with two bags of gold. See, I have gained two more. His master replied, well done, good and faithful servant. You have been faithful with a few things. I will put you in charge of many things. Come and share your master's happiness. Then the man who had received one bag of gold came. Master, he said, I knew that you are a hard man, harvesting where you had not sown and gathering where you had not scattered seed. So I was afraid and went out and hid your gold in the ground. See, here is what belongs to you. His master replied, You wicked, lazy servant. So you knew that I harvest where I have not sown and gather where I have not scattered seed? Well then, you should have put my money on deposit with the bankers so that when I returned, I would have received it back with interest. Take the bag of gold from him and give it to the one who has ten bags. For those who have will be given more and they will have an abundance. As for those who do not have, even what they have will be taken from them and throw that worthless servant outside into the darkness where there will be be weeping and gnashing of teeth. It all sounds a bit harsh on the third servant, don't you think? I mean, that's my immediate response on reading that pair. I mean, it sounds like this guy gets a bit of a raw deal. So we start with him. Just look at this third servant. When you think about it, he's not done anything terribly wrong. I mean, he's not squandered the money. This is not some dodgy investment banker who's gone off and just spent it all on himself and has nothing to show for what's been given to him. He's been given this bag of gold. He's been given the $1 million. And you might question his methods. I mean, he goes and digs a hole in the ground and sticks the money in the hole. (coughs) Imagine if your fund manager rung you up and said, hey, I've got this great investment scheme that I've just just come across. It's called hole in the ground investments. (laughs) And I'm literally going to dig a hole in the ground and put your money in it. You'd think he was a bit crazy. But nevertheless, when the master returns, this servant is able to front up with that bag of gold and account for every single cent. I mean, that's right. Isn't it? He, 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 he hasn't lost any money. He fronts up and he can return every penny of that $1 million to the master. And isn't that what we think good stewardship is? Being responsible with what we've been given, giving an account for it, making wise decisions, and keeping it safe. See, on one level, we would all look at that third servant and go, he was responsible and wise and returned that money to his master. And I think this is a common understanding of stewardship. It's a common understanding of what it means to be God's managers of God's money, that as long as we don't squander it, as long as we don't blow it on booze and gambling, as long as we're just prudent and sensible and can account for it, we're good. But that's what the third servant does. And he fronts up to his master and he hears these words, you wicked, lazy servant. If you hear those words wicked and lazy in your next performance review, it's not going well. I mean, this is the reality. He's not commended for what he's done. And then in the end, he's thrown out into the outer darkness. There's weeping and gnashing of teeth. It's all bad for this guy. And as you work logically through what's happened, you start to see why. The situation that Jesus is describing is not one where the master just wants his money to be looked after. It's where he wants this money to be increased. This is what you would do if you gave your money to a fund manager, isn't it? You would expect them to bring an increase. You'd expect them to bring forth more. Otherwise, you could have just stuck it in the bank and got a a miserable interest rate there, but it would have been something. If you entrust money to a fund manager, you want them to bring an increase. This is what the first two servants were commended for, not just because they'd looked after the money. Everybody did that, but because they had multiplied it, because they'd increased it, 
because there was something in addition to what had originally been given to them. The guy who had five now had ten. The guy who had two now had four. That's what God, the investor, is looking for. Now, immediately, because we're all good capitalists, we think, right, so God must want me to multiply my money. Is that it? So does God want me to make twice as much as what I'm making now and earn more and more and more money? That's not the point. Remember, this parable is about the kingdom of heaven. This is not a parable about the kingdom of the New Zealand economy. This is about kingdom economics, the economics of grace, where things work fundamentally differently to how they work in normal economics. What does it mean to return an increase in the kingdom of heaven? What does it mean to make a kingdom increase with what God's given us? What does profit look like in the kingdom of heaven? It doesn't necessarily look like a bigger balance sheet. It doesn't necessarily look like just more money. But in kingdom terms, an increase, a profit, a multiplication is anything that honors God and blesses others. That which increases the kingdom that which honors and glorifies God, that which brings maybe a little bit of his new creation to earth in the present. That's what an increase looks like in the kingdom of heaven. So don't get this idea that I've got to be, you know, if I've got X amount of money, I've got to make more money. It's not about making more money. It's about using the money in such a way that we gain a kingdom increase, that we gain a profit, a spiritual profit, that we use our resources in a way that glorifies God and blesses others. There's a couple in our church who uh, about a year ago were planning to go to a family life conference. Family life runs these great marriage weekends for couples and you stay at Waipuna Hotel and it's just a great program and, and a really lovely surrounding. And uh, for whatever reason, they weren't able to get to that particular conference. So instead of just saying, well, well, we'll reschedule and go another time, they may still be planning to do that, but they decided that they would put the money that they were going to spend on, on them going to that conference toward another couple going to the conference. They didn't identify another couple, but they just anonymously donated the money and said to me that they, they didn't want you know, others to know who it was, but that they just wanted us to find a couple in the church who we felt would benefit from going to this conference and staying the whole week. I mean, they, they paid for the conference and for the accommodation for that weekend and find another couple who that would be a blessing for. So the whole thing was done really anonymously. The, 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 the couple who were donating money didn't want any credit, any glory for it. They just simply wanted to be a blessing to another couple. And so we identified another couple and, it, and it, it sounded like it was a fantastic weekend for them. They don't know who the first couple was and it was just this wonderful scenario of people using what God has given them to seek to be a blessing to other people. See, what they've done is taken some resources, taken some money and sought to make a kingdom increase. Not about multiplying your money, but about asking, how can I use what God has given me to honor him and bless others? And I know when you start talking about this stuff, it sounds like the point is giving all your money away and are we supposed to be living in abject poverty, you know, while we just farm it out left, right and center. Well, let me ask you this. Is it honoring to God to look after your family? Of course it is. Is it honoring and glorifying to God to make sure the bills are paid and there's food on the table and you provide for the basic needs of people that are dependent on you? Of course it is. Nobody is advocating that we go out there and just throw all of our money at other people, and leave ourselves in squalor. God is deeply honoured. In fact, our first ministry and our first priority and our first way of increasing the kingdom should be to provide for the basic needs of people in our lives who depend on us, our families, 
who depend on us to look after them and put food on the table for them and make sure their needs are met. Don't ever feel guilty about doing that. And it doesn't mean that you can't treat yourself occasionally. We're not saying that either, that we have to be just so frugal that we can never splash out, have a little bit of luxury or, or enjoy life. God has given us money that we might enjoy ourselves, that we might have uh, pleasure in this life. There's nothing wrong with that. There's nothing wrong with material things. It's simply that it goes beyond that. And that as God gives us the means and as God gives us the resources, we're aware We just become aware of how can I be using my stuff to honor God and bless others? Are there little ways that I can learn to be a good steward of my money? Are there little ways? We're going to talk in this series about the blessing of generosity, what it means to become a generous person. I don't feel like I'm a very generous person. I need this for me, that we would be more open-handed with our stuff and with our money, just allowing money to pass through our hands a little more easily than it does. We tend to be so tight-fisted, hold on to it so tightly, be so guarded. We need to open it up a bit and remind ourselves this is God's money to do with as He pleases. And looking for those every day, it may be as simple as just blessing someone by paying for their coffee. Because when you do that, it does something that blesses them, but it also starts to change your heart as well. It starts to just release your grip on your own finances just a little bit. Looking for ways that we can be a blessing to other people. It means looking for ways that we can participate and contribute to the life of the local church. We'll talk about this in the context of our series. Partnering with a local church, wherever God's called you, if it's this church, if it's another church, wherever that is. But investing in the church. That the local church might be able to do the work through its people of extending God's kingdom and honoring the Lord. Just this week, uh, our tax rebate landed in our personal account from uh, our charitable giving through the year. You know, IRD sends your tax rebate back, and that showed up. And, uh, it, you know, the, moving into a new house, as we have just done, there's a whole lot of expenses. I mean, it just feels like money is going out all over the place at the moment, just stuff that needs to be sorted out and set up and, and the stuff that needs to be bought just to get the place functional. And this week of all weeks, this, this tax rebate, this nice little sum of money lands in the bank account, and shows up there. But here's the thing. We had committed a little while ago to returning that rebate to the church. I'm not saying this because I'm a pillar of virtue, because this stuff comes easy to me, or because I've got it sorted out. I struggle with this stuff just like you do. But I'm just telling you our journey. We'd committed some time ago that we'd return that rebate to the church. We just saw that as part of our giving, and as we get rebated on the giving, we just return that. And so this presented a huge dilemma for us because it shows up, you know, at the very week. And we've been looking in particular this week at trying to insulate our house and just get it up to, 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 to standard, maybe get a heat pump, just try and sort it out. And we're looking at that and we're looking at this, this tax rebate. And it's, it was a brutal, brutal decision. It's not easy. But we did stick with it and we will contribute that rebate back. But I'm, I'm, I'm saying that this stuff is not easy You can make those decisions in a moment of strength and inspiration when it all feels good, but when it comes to the crunch, it's hard to work it out. And it does does cost. And it's not a lot of fun sometimes. But it's simply trying to make that paradigm shift where we're asking, how would God have me use His funds? And I can honestly tell you that over the years, as Anna and I have sought very imperfectly 
to try and honour God with our finances and resources. Try and bless others where we can. He's looked after us. And that's the flip side of this. There's a huge amount of trust in this, isn't there? That God will take care of you. That God will look after you. And we're not talking about being irresponsible and then just expecting God to provide anyway. But as we seek to honour him with our finances, I really believe that he will look after us, provide for our needs, and that we have no need to worry because he owns all the resources anyway. He's a God of abundance, and he can supply all our needs according to his glorious riches in Christ Jesus, as Paul says in Philippians. So we can afford to be a little bit more open-handed. We can afford to be a little bit more generous than we are. And we'll look too in this series about a Christian response to the poor in our own community, And even in a global context, you know, you look at the prophets like Isaiah and righteousness is almost synonymous with helping the poor. You look at where that word crop, we think of righteousness as just kind of this pious, walk-keeping commandments and so on. Righteousness in the prophets is almost synonymous with helping the poor and looking after the oppressed and bringing justice to the needy. It's such a marginalized part of our gospel, but it's so integral. God is on the side of the poor. He has a bias. He has a preferential option for those who struggle and suffer, who are neglected and downcast and don't have the means and don't have the power to participate in the economic system like everybody else. And he calls us and he compels us as a response to his grace to do what we can to help the plight of those who don't have as much as we can. And it's not helpful to sort of default to emotions like guilt and obligation and being overwhelmed by the size of the problem. We can easily go there and that's not where I want to lead us in this series. That's not helpful and that's not the gospel. But it's asking, in what small ways might I be able to help someone who doesn't have as much as me? In what small ways might I be able to participate in alleviating global poverty? Of course, I'm not the whole solution, but is there something small? And we'll talk about some of the things that we can do. And honestly, I'm in this series because I need it. Part of the reason that I decided to launch in on all of this, because I don't consider myself to be that generous And I don't consider myself to be that great a steward, but I want to. I want to have my heart softened and shaped. I don't want to be legalistic. I don't want to come at this in terms of commandments and rules and this much and here it is and here's the benchmark. I just want this to be a gracious response to all that God has given us, whether we feel like it's a lot or we feel like it's a little, and simply to live out of that abundance and see what we can do to bless God and bless others. And the reward, you see where this parable goes. The first two servants as they show up to the master and show the multiplication that they've made with their money, you see what he says, well done, good and faithful servant. You've been faithful with a few things. I will put you in charge of many things. That's the nature of heavenly rewards. We think of like, you know, if I'm good in this life and if I use my money and I bless everyone else, I'm going to get this big mansion or my mansion's going to have more wings than your mansion. It's going to have more rooms and it's going to have a jacuzzi, you know, whatever. But you look at how heavenly rewards are described in this parable. They're described as responsibilities. And if you get your head around the idea that heaven or the new creation, the new heavens and the new earth, is a place that will be teeming with life and culture and society and industry and creativity and adventure and achievement and learning and and, and experimenting and exploring all these wonderful things that comprise true humanity... The leaders in that new creation, the managers, those with responsibility, they won't necessarily be on the rich list in this life. They won't necessarily be the head of multinationals. They may not have written the management textbooks. They will simply be people who have humbly and faithfully, as a response to God's grace, 
sought to be faithful stewards of what God has given them. See themselves not as owners, but as God's financial managers, and to do what they can to bless God and bless others. And it's worth considering what it will be like on that day when we stand before the Lord. And he asks us not to condemn us or judge us, but just asks us, hey, of all I gave you in your life, the income that I provided, I know you would have loved more, but of what I gave you, the things that I blessed you with, what have you done? How's it gone? What did you get up to? What will our response be? Will it be like that third servant? And we can say, hey God, I can account for all the money you gave me. I used it wisely. I invested it well. I was frugal. I made sound financial decisions and I can account for every cent of it. Or can our response be more like the first two servants? Where we can say to God, God, here's some of the things that I've sought to do, however imperfectly, to honour you and bless others with what you've given me. Here's some of the ways that I sought to be a little bit generous with the money you gave me. Here's some of the ways I sought to bless the church that you put me in, to enable it to be all that you wanted that church to be. Here's some of the ways I, I tried to help the poor and reach out to those around me. And it was far from perfect, but here are some of the things that I sought to do. And here is some of the increase that I've tried to return to you on the money that you've given me. And wouldn't it be an amazing thing to stand before the Lord on that day and hear him say to us, well done, good and faithful servant. You've been faithful with a few things. I will put you in charge of many things. Come and share your master's happiness. Let's pray. Father, I'm I'm conscious as we talk about these things that there are so many different scenarios and situations in this room. So many different lives, different levels of means and resource. And for some people here, Lord, you know it's just a struggle to make the ends meet right now. A struggle just to get the bills paid and to survive and keep their head above water. And for others, there is abundance and there there is plenty. Father, wherever we're at and whatever lot you have given us and whatever you've provided for us, I pray, Lord, now that you would just free us from any sense of guilt and obligation, any sense of just legalism with what we do, any sense of just being bound up in what we ought to do or feeling guilty because of what we're not doing. Father, free us from all that and remind us that that is not what you came to offer. That is not what you died for. That is not the abundant life that you've promised us. But Lord, help us just to simply and humbly ask, what we can do as a response to all you've given us and how you've blessed us and the life that you've given us in Christ, what we can do in small ways and maybe big ways to return an increase to you, to return a kingdom increase to you, to return a kingdom profit to you by honoring you with our money and seeking to bless others with your money. Bring to mind, Lord, even now, small ways in which we might begin to do this and open our hearts up during this series to what you want to say to us, ways in which you want to stir us up and challenge us and change us to become more like you. Release our hold, Lord, on our finances where we're holding on too tightly. Open that grip. Soften our hearts and make us attentive to your voice. We thank you. We look forward to what you have to say to us through this series. In Jesus' name, amen. 
Connection Point is a joint production between Connection Resources and Shore Community Christian Church. If you would like a free copy of today's message, please email us or phone us on 0800 90 30 90. To subscribe to our free podcasts or to listen to the latest message, go to connectionresources.org.nz. Thank you.